We're going to read together from God's Word, from John chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 33. You'll find it on page 1082 of your Bibles. The words aren't going to come up on the screen. I encourage you just to take the Bible in front of you and open it. Find John chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 33. And Wilma is going to come and read to us from God's Word. Thank you. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, Where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, Wilma. We began the service with these words from 1 Chronicles 17. And I, God says, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. And then Jesus stands up in John 14, the night before he's crucified, and he says, In my Father's home, my Father's house, are, are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Let us pray. Father, we have worshipped you, and you give us a great identity through faith in Jesus And because he is king, and he is our king, we have royal robes to wear. A status in this creation that may be hidden from others, but you look upon us as your own, as children of the king. And so, Lord, that lifts us from anxiety and worries and enables us to praise you today because you are our God. You are our help in ages past, and you are our hope for the days and the years to come. And as we've heard your word, bless it to us, Lord, as we reflect on these wonderful words of Jesus to bring comfort to his disciples then, that they may bring comfort to all of us gathered here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. He's just told them, I'm leaving you. Three years they have spent such intimate time together. They've seen him walk on water, do dramatic miracles. They proclaimed him to be the Messiah, God's anointed who's going to bring the peace, all those ancient prophecies, he's the one. And then he says, I'm leaving you. And they're troubled. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The Father's house, the Father's home. I prefer the word home because you can have a house, but it may not be a home. But if you have a home, you have a house in which uh, that home takes place. And there's an intimacy here about the Father's house. He's the, the good shepherd. Uh, he is a Father God. And so it's not just his house, but there's a, a loving atmosphere to his house. So it's, it's, the home is probably what we're thinking about. I'm thinking about the first, this first statement, why Jesus needs to bring us home. I'm indebted to Tim Keller, who's an American uh, writer and minister, give me some thoughts on this. And he, he points out, you know what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world is we are not at home in it. Karl Marx, the father of communism, and a very different person, uh, Martin Heidegger, who was um, a philosopher and a fascist sympathizer, both in their own writings, make the same point. That... You cannot understand the human condition in the world without what they called the concept of alienation. A sense of estrangement, a distance from you and the rest of the creation, a feeling that we're not really at home in this world in which they're living. So here are these very different people, Marx and Heidegger, saying the same thing. Why do we as people, as human beings not feel at home in this beautiful world that's full of joy and so much laughter and yet we're not at home in it why do we feel as they call it alienation this estrangement this distance and christianity responds to that question quite simply because this is not our home c.s lewis who wrote the narnia trilogy, no it's not a trilogy, it's five so I don't know what that is Um, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe the Narnia series didn't become a Christian until he was in his, about 40 years old, he grew up in a, going to church then he rebelled against that, became an ardent atheist and really through the influence of Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and he was another lecturer in a university in England began to mellow his heart and then he moved from atheism to agnosticism to then a believer in in God in general, somebody out there and then after that he moved to the God who's revealed himself in Jesus and became a Christian so a lot of his writings are kind of give us an insight into um, how he has moved from being someone who didn't believe in God to someone who is passionate about the God that we read about in the Bible And in one of his writings, he is talking 
was dialoguing with the person who's an atheist. And this is what he says, something like this. Though being hungry does not prove I will get food. Being hungry proves that there is such a thing as food, or else why would I be hungry? And the atheist, you say that the material universe is ugly and unjust and you don't like it. So the atheist says, I don't like the world we live in. But he says, if you believe that you're just the product of a material universe, if that's all you are, then why don't you feel at home in it? Do fish complain about the sea for being wet? No, because they are at home in the sea. It's what they were made for. They feel at home there. We feel wet when we get into water because we are not aquatic creatures. It's not natural for us to live in water. So we feel that wetness. So he says, why do you, the material, the atheist, those who believe that this world is just a material universe, why do you not feel at home in it? If this is all there is. And his answer is, the only possible explanation is that our real home is somewhere else. The Bible story that I'm introducing and reminding you of is that there was a home called Eden. Genesis 1 and 2. God created the man and the woman and he placed us in this beautiful garden and that garden was our home. Intellectually, aesthetically, socially, psychologically and spiritually and emotionally, it was home for every part of what makes us human. But then Genesis 3 tells us how we lost that paradise, that garden. It tells us that the men and the women, Adam and Eve, chose to be their own bosses, their own lords of their lives, their own masters. They wanted to be able to decide what they could do. They rebelled against what God had said for them to live in his world. And for that, they went into exile. They lost access to the garden. They lost that garden, that Eden, as their true home. And so we are this side of Genesis 3 in a world that is broken, that cannot sustain and support the basic needs we have, and that is why we feel it's not our true home. It's not the home we're made for. It's not the home we had. It's not the home that God made us for. We look at our houses, we look at our careers, we look at our friends, we look at our family, and they're wonderful. And so often we're still not satisfied. Our home is not really the home that we still want it to be. Uh, Nothing, in fact, can bear the full weight of our soul and what it longs for. The Bible says your home, your heart seeks, is the Eden. When we were able to walk with the Creator in the cool of the day, subconsciously, in the depths of our being, that is what we long for. A life filled with the presence of God where we hear him speak and we know his presence near and there's joy and there's peace and there's goodness. And so Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And then Isaac walks, walks, takes uh, the words of Psalm 90 and makes it into this hymn, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to to come. And you are our eternal home. Our eternal home is only found in you. God is the home we're missing. God is the home somehow we remember. Eden is what we are desperately trying to get back to, but we just can't get there. We just can't make 
our homes and our houses and our friends and our family, everything that Eden was supposed to be. In the middle of the Bible story, um, after David and Solomon, the, 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 the Israel breaks up in two and the people go their separate ways and the Assyrians come and they take the ten northern tribes away into a captivity and, and they are lost to history. And then a hundred or so years later, the Babylonian Empire comes under Nebuchadnezzar and carries away the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to captivity. It's the time when Daniel is gone and, and uh, those other stories that we read about for example, um, Esther. And in that exile, all this deportation of thousands of people so that there would be no power base left in Judah for a rebellion. They take all the nobility, everybody who has skills, and they carry them all off as slaves to um, Babylonia. You read in Psalm 137, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing, sing the songs of the Lord in a strange land? And then God starts sending his prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and others, to speak into the exile situations and give them hope. Tremendous words of hope. God's going to bring them back. And 70 years later, those prophecies are fulfilled when they are able to return and resettle in their homeland again. But the thing about many of these prophecies is that they're so extravagant that they have never been fulfilled today. Let me just read one of them, Ezekiel 36, from verse, selected verses from verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations, through the prophet Ezekiel, to those doubles in Babylon. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the fields so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. This is what the sovereign Lord says, on the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. It's not, the prophecy is not just bringing you back into your own land, but I'm going to make your land again like the Garden of Eden. There's other ones I could read. Isaiah 35, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion again singing. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Did sorrow and sighing flee away when they arrived back? Has it become like a garden of Eden? In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. That has not happened yet. 
So 70 years after their captivity, they are allowed to come back and into their land that they were deported from 70 years earlier. As God had promised, and yet the fuller details of these prophecies have never been fulfilled in history. It's talking about the Garden of Eden, streams in the desert, the wolf lying down with the lamb. The only way to make sense of these prophecies is that they are an image of something much greater. That it's just not to Israel, but it's to the whole world. The whole world is in exile. It's alienated and it's estranged from its creator. And God says, I'm going to heal the world of its exile. He's not just talking about Israel. He's talking to the whole human race. We have lost our home. We're all in a form of exile. And he's going to bring us back because we were made for another home that this home is only an image of. And therefore we jump to Revelation chapters 21 and 22, which is the final fulfillment of these prophecies in the new creation. When peace comes at last... The world is perfected. There is no famine or sickness or tears or death or dying. That is the ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies given in exile. So don't be too anxious about this life because this life is not your home. Don't get so hung up on position and power and money and status Because it's never going to bear the weight of your soul. The Father's home is what we are made for and we will never be at home until we get to the true home that our hearts long for. And so if you find the longings of your heart, understand that that what you're longing for home means is not in this life, but in God's new world that is coming. The Father's home is what we are made for. Why does Jesus bring us home? Because we have lost Eden and we're desperately trying to get back there. And Jesus comes to his disciples and says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I have told you. In my Father's home, that home that you've been longing for, There's plenty of room. You get to live in God's world as his people. You get to go to the one home that all your experiences of home in this life point to. And in this father's house are many rooms. Now the King James Version has mansions there and it's a lovely thought. It's contributed to very materialistic views of heaven. I remember hearing a lovely Christian man speak at a church and say that he was sticking to the King James Version because he wanted a mansion and not a room a room uh, in the Father's house. And then he drove away in his beautiful top-of-the-range car, which is all part of the longings of his heart, I think. He was a lovely man, and we, 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 we were blessed that day when he spoke. But I always remember what he said that day. The meaning has changed. Early in the 13th century, um, when France ruled uh, uh, the southern part of the British Isles, they brought their word for house, maison, which means a dwelling place, and it came into the English language simply to refer to a modest dwelling place. And by the 17th century, the the maison had become mansion, and it's still 
meant a modest dwelling place. So by the time of William Tyndale and when the King James version was being, of the Bible was being written, they used the word mansion because it was of a modest dwelling place or even a lodging place or even a stopping place on a journey. That is what mansion meant then. In fact, it doesn't make sense with mansion because houses don't contain houses. But houses contains rooms. This is the father's house in which there are many. You can get other houses in a house. You get rooms in a house. So it's in the father's house are many rooms. It's not the accent on the rooms that's important. It's the fact that Jesus says there are many. In my father's house, there's so much room. You're all welcome. It will never be full up. My father's house, my father's home is so, so big and he's so welcoming that he will provide a place for anyone who wants to come into his home. There's more than enough room. You'll never be turned away if you come through Jesus. There's a place for everybody. Why Jesus brings us home? Because this is the home that everything in this life points to and all our longings hope for. So how does Jesus bring us home? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place. Now some people read this, that that Jesus for 2,000 years has been up in heaven uh, constructing rooms in the Father's house for us to occupy uh, when we arrive. But that is not what Jesus means here. His going begins the next day when he's crucified. This is the journey that he is on through betrayal, through crucifixion, through resurrection and ascension. That is the way that he goes so that a place in the Father's house will be there for us. This going, this journey that his life will pass through is the means and the only means by which a place in eternity is made possible. By his death on the cross, by his resurrection, by his ascension into the heavens as Lord of history, he's opened the door to the Father's home. To use that imagery in a different way, Jesus, in a sense, by this journey that he has gone through, through crucifixion and resurrection, has paid the mortgage for you, that you can have a beautiful place in the Father's home. Or to use another image, he has made us family within the family of God by his crucifixion and resurrection. He has made possible a home to which all homes in this life point He says, I go to the cross to prepare a place, the home your hearts have always been longing for. On this earthly journey, you'll spend your life paying off a mortgage, building a beautiful home. It'll never be enough. Your house is going to crumble. You're going to have to keep fixing it up. You build this great family. You find the love of your life. One of you will watch the other die. Nothing lasts forever. But when Jesus says, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you, we see that the homes 
that we enjoy are an echo here of the true home we were made for. That the best fathers and mothers that we um, can relate to and have experience are of a dim echo of this heavenly father's care. And the relationships that we enjoy now are an echo of the true relationships that we are destined for. And until we recognize that, and the world out there hasn't a clue to recognize that, but under God's word here, when we recognize and realize that the Father's home is the home that we are desperately hungering for, looking for, unless you recognize that, you'll spend the rest of your life chasing dreams. Jesus goes to prepare a place for you at a home that we all long for. What does he have to do? What do we have to do? Quite simply, trust in him. Earlier, Wilma read, Jesus says, I'm leaving you. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you'll follow me afterwards. Here is a man that came into Peter's life when he was fishing by uh, Sea of Galilee, and he said, follow me. And he left down his nets and followed him. For three years he's been following him, and now Jesus says, "Uh, you can't follow me anymore because where I'm going, you can't follow me. But I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So trust me. Can you trust me, Peter? I've never let you down. My father has never broken a promise. Neither have I. I have proven myself trustworthy in your life. Now, when I go away, when you see me hanging on the cross by implication, and when the resurrection happens and the ascension, it's time to trust me on the force of the promise that I'm giving you. You believe in God. Now also, believe in me, trust in me, have faith in me. Because I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you already know the way, because the way is me. It's not a a literal road or a set of path. It's following me. Jesus said earlier, if anyone would serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. I am the way. The way is following me, being obedient to what I have asked you to live your life under the lordship of the Father. Through the salvation that I give to you and in the presence of the Spirit. If you want to know how to get to the Father's house, follow me. Stay with me. Go my way. We could talk a little bit about how the world sees these words of Jesus as as arrogant, um, to imagine that he is the only way, that no one can come to eternity but through him. Um, uh, Let me just say, the trouble with that response is it doesn't work. If you dethrone Jesus as the only way, you simply enthrone something else or someone else. Everybody lives for a way that is a way to follow. So if it's not Jesus, they simply have replaced Jesus with another way in which to follow. The belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic, but it doesn't make sense. Because if you dethrone Jesus as the way and say he's, he's too arrogant here or it, 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 
it's, it's, it's too narrow. You actually made another way that's just as narrow, except Jesus is excluded from it. Trust Jesus. Trust me, he says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Those are the benefits of, of following me in the way that you will get in your life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a world where people think they have an entitlement almost to walk into heaven. Even if they've never been to church for years or prayed or even thought about Jesus. And yet you talk to them and you say, could you walk into Buckingham Palace without an invitation? No, I couldn't. Well, that's just a human palace. What gives you the right to think that you can walk into heaven? Oh, I've been a good person. I never did anyone any harm. But have you had any time for God? Because it's his house. It's his home. If you don't know him, then how can you walk into his home? And you need Jesus for eternity because no one comes to the Father and the Father's home except through him. And so we need to deal with Jesus in our lives. Fourthly and finally, when does Jesus bring us home? When is this coming back to take us? It's comforting to think that Jesus takes us home when we die, but if you read John's Gospel, that's not the idea that you would get if you read John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, it's when Jesus comes back into the world. It's it's his second coming. So in John 5, uh, we read, All who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who have done good things will, will rise to the resurrection of life. In John 6, I am the bread of life, and I will raise the, the one who trusted me up at the last day. In John 11, at the tomb of Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he says to Lazarus, come forth. When he comes again, he will enact worldwide what happened at the tomb of Lazarus as the resurrection and the life when everyone who has faith in him will rise bodily. Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it in different language. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky, and he will gather them to himself. The point is he's coming back. He's coming back to resurrect our mortal bodies to the resurrection of life, to raise us up, to gather us from the ends of the earth together, or like here, to take us to be with him, that there will no longer be a time that where I am, you cannot come, but we will be with him forever. To bring us into the Father's home, his kingdom, when heaven and earth become one. This is the way home. This is the way to a home that all our longings for home in this earthly life long for. And at the end of Revelation, we do not leave to go to the city to go home. The home comes down. God is coming back. He's going to descend with power at the end of time, and he's going to make the whole world into the Garden of Eden. There's a garden in that city of the New Jerusalem, and the river from that garden flows out of the city to the whole world. The implication be the whole world will become God's new Eden, where he's got rid of disease and he's got rid of death. Until death is gone, we are not home, but God is going to come down. Until poverty and injustice is gone, we are not home, but God is going to come down. 
until disease is gone, we are not home, but God is going to come down into this world and he's going to destroy everything that's wrong here. And then this world will be the Father's home and our relationships with God and with each other will be complete. He will be our God and we will be his people and we will be home at last. And until you recognize that hope and that longing and that truth of what God is going to do, unless you make your relationship to God the most important thing in your life, unless you cultivate it because it's the only way home, you're always going to feel a bit of a stranger here. You're always going to feel a little bit of alienation. You're going to feel like a person who's always traveling but has never arrived. He's never got enough. He's never got enough to make them happy. You'll never be content. You will enjoy a little bit of home here. But you may end up missing the real home that you've always longed for. A new Eden and God's new creation. God's Spirit works in different ways when we hear these things. It encourages some of us as we just celebrate the Jesus that who is the Lord of our life. Or exposes to others that we're sitting on the fence or we're sitting outside and he is not our Lord and Savior. He's not our passion. He's not our treasure. He's not our heart's desire. And so allow these words to, to recommit our lives to the only one who can bring us to the Father's home. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Follow me. Trust me. Be my disciple. Learn from me. Let me share your life. Let me be your good shepherd. May you worship me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you've not given up on your creation, but you promised to renew it. Thank you for all the good experiences in this life that give us a flavor of what that true creation home will be like. And you will fit us then with your presence, and you will fill it then with your presence and glory. May this knowledge, Lord, excite every heart, draw every heart to you. May this hope help us to live the great kinds of lives here that go along with the knowledge of this hope. This is our prayer, Lord, that you would touch us this day and allow us to long and know that we are on that journey to our eternal home. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.